Luke chapter 4 and verse number 14. I'm going to share something with you today that has personally changed my life. This changed my life long before it was a message or sermon. This is something that I have adopted into my personal life. And it, is, it has changed my life. I don't say that just to say it, but truly it has changed my life. I have been on a journey the last couple of years to get people to understand the kind of God that we serve. It's important that you know the kind of God that you serve. That not only is he able to help you, he wants to help you. I can tell you it is the heartbeat of God that more than you want to be saved, he wants you to be saved. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. The God that you serve loves you more than you could ever fathom. Does anybody believe that? Is anybody thankful for that? The Bible makes it clear. We love him because he first loved us. And I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I wasn't so lovable. But I'm thankful for a God who loves us. But I want to share something with you today that has helped me tremendously. Luke chapter 4 and verse number 14. Bible says, Jesus returned and the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogue, being glorified of all, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, and the Bible says on the Sabbath day he stood up for to read. And when he chose to read that day, they gave him the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Bible says when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, and he began to quote, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. He goes on to say, I've come to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And when he was finished saying this, he closed the book, gave it to the minister, sat down, and the eyes of all of them that were in the synagogue were fastened upon him. I want you to notice the latter part of verse 18. The Bible says that Jesus came to set at liberty them that are bruised. For the next few moments, my goal is to be finished preaching before you're finished listening. I know that lunch awaits, uh, so I, I'm going to get out of the way, and I believe God is going to do an amazing work today. But I want to preach to you from this thought, the enemy of help. Look at your neighbor and say, the enemy of help. Before you see it, if you can lift your hands one more time. And could we pray together, Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity to be in your presence. God, I thank you for the faith that is in this room. For the anointed worship, God, that has led us to this place. God, we thank you. There are angels in this room. God, I have no doubt. God, they encamp round about those that fear you. God, we fear you. I'm asking you right now to let those angels minister to your people today. Jesus, I pray that the anointing would destroy every yoke. I take dominion and authority over anything that would try to block or stymie what the Holy Ghost wants to do, God. And I pray that there would be a flow of your spirit in this room today in the name of Jesus. Let bodies be healed. Let minds be healed. But more than anything, God, let our souls be filled with the power and the gift of the Holy Ghost, God. I pray if anybody is here that does not know you, God, I pray before they leave they would know you and the power of your resurrection and the fellowship 
of your suffering. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, let your spirit be poured out and somebody say, in Jesus' name. If you believe God's going to do something special today, can you clap your hands? Amen. Come on, can you lift your voice with it in expectation? Hallelujah. It is always my custom to ask you to turn to somebody and say, you look amazing today. So turn to somebody and say that right now, and you may be seated. I always do that in case there was a husband and wife that maybe somehow had an argument on the way to church. and So I'm trying to help you get back in the good graces this morning. When Jesus stood in our opening text in Luke chapter 4 in the synagogue, and the Bible says that he asked for the book, and he began to read from the prophet Isaiah. This verse that he chose to read from that day is found in Isaiah chapter 61. And it reads as follows, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, he to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. He said, I've come to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn. And he said, and this is also what I will do. I will appoint unto them that mourn in Zion. I will give people beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Aren't you thankful that you still serve a God who knows how to do a divine exchange? Anybody ever received a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness? Come on, have you ever got the oil of joy for morning? Has God ever stepped in and just turned it all around for you? Have you ever walked into church one way but walked out another way? Because we serve a God who comes to do these divine exchanges. But I want you to notice that in Isaiah chapter 61, when the, the prophet Isaiah wrote this, he said at the latter part of that verse that when Jesus, the Messiah, would come, he would come to open the prison to them that are bound. But in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus stood that day to quote the prophet Isaiah, he wasn't just quoting the scripture, but he was the fulfillment of the scripture. But when Jesus chose that day to rehearse the words of Isaiah, he said that I have come to set at liberty them that are bruised. Isaiah called it bound, but Jesus called it bruised. Both verses deal with the releasing of the imprisoned, but Isaiah chose to use the word bound, but Jesus chose to use the word bruised. Not that Jesus was misquoting because, again, he was the fulfillment of the scripture. But I believe Jesus was giving us insight that in that day and in our day, people would literally be bound by a bruise. Jesus was not incorrect, but he was giving us insight to the scripture. The Greek word for bruise is throw out, which simply means to be broken or to be shattered or to be smitten. And no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, the reality is at some point in our life, something is going to break us. Something in our life is going to bruise us. Something in our life is going to hurt us. I wish it were not the case, but the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. No matter how much you pray and no matter how spiritual you are, at some point if you haven't already, you're going to encounter something or someone that will hurt you. Life 
has a way of bruising all of us. We look great today in our Sunday attire, but if you were to pull back the layers, everybody in this room has scars. Everybody in this room has been broken by something. Everybody in this room has been bruised by something. I know that there are people in this room, life has hurt you, people have hurt you, maybe a family member has hurt you, maybe your mistakes have hurt you, maybe some of the choices you made have hurt you, your addiction or your struggles, but nobody can tell because we have become professional at hiding the bruises. We don't want anybody to know it. We don't want anybody to know that we're broken. In 2020, the whole world started to wear masks because of a pandemic. But I know long before 2020, people were wearing masks. You just could not see them. People would try to put on the mask of strength when really they were weak. They would put on the mask of I'm okay when really they were not okay. Somebody asked you, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. This is my season. I'm blessed. I'm appointed and I'm anointed for this hour. I'm doing so good. But really, you could not even sleep last night through the tears that you cried. But we don't like to admit we're, we're not okay. There's this, there's this statement that's kind of been buzzing for the last few years that it's okay to not be okay. I want to add my version to that because I do believe it is okay to not be okay. But it is not okay to not be okay but act like you're okay. And here's why. If you pretend and if you go through the motions, you will miss your chance at a real healing. I want you to know the presence of God is no place for pretending. I want you to know the presence of God is no place for going through the motions. I want you to know the church can never become a masquerade. This is a place for real people who have real issues, who serve a real God. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 15, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's a double negative, which means we do have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. The word infirmity there just means a weakness or a feeble nature. Why is this so important? Why is it imperative that we know that we do serve a God that is moved by our weakness? Because when you understand who he is, it changes how you approach him. Because the next verse says this, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find help in our time of need. Why do you have to understand the kind of God we serve? Because when you know he cares about me, he's moved by my weakness, it changes how you approach him. You're not afraid to run into his presence and say, Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I need help. He says you can run boldly to the throne. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be timid. You don't have to wonder if he's going to kill you. You don't have to wonder if he's going to cut you off. Oh no. When you understand that you serve a God that is moved by your weakness. That understands where you are. That loves you enough to know the pain you're going through. You can run to his presence and say Jesus I need help. I believe that most of us in this room understand where the source of our help comes from. But I believe sometimes the conundrum we find ourselves in, we don't like to admit that we need help. We don't want the person next to us to know where we're really at. So we clap at the right time. 
we lift our hand at the right time. Some of us are still good. We can shed a tear at the right time. All the while, God is reaching, but we're just going through the motions. We're trying to pretend like we're not bruised, but I've come to let you know today that it's okay to need help. In fact, you're in the best place in the whole world if you do need help. I'm telling you, I don't care what people have told you. This is the safest place for your struggles. This is the safest place for your issues. The best place for your questions are in the presence of God. The best place for your issues are in the presence of God. I've never seen Jesus turn somebody away. He's always saying, come, come. Come, go get the handicapped, go get the broken, go get the blind, go get the mid. Come, come. Sometimes, and I'm not painting a sad story because there are sometimes life is great, but there are sometimes we identify with the lady in Matthew chapter 15 when the Bible says, Then came she and worshiped. But this is what the worshiper said Lord, help me. Why? Because even worshipers need help from time to time. Even somebody that knows how to worship, you can't be afraid to admit, Jesus, I don't have it all together today. Jesus, I'm struggling today. Jesus, I'm broken today. Jesus, my faith is on eat today. Jesus, I want to dance, but I'm hurting today. Jesus, I need help. And here's what's amazing. A few verses later, Jesus looked at this same woman who was not afraid to say, Lord, help me. And this is how he responds to that kind of prayer. He said, oh, woman, great is thy faith. It takes great faith to admit that you need help. It takes great faith to admit that you don't have it all together. Can I tell you, that's why we're all here, because we don't have it all together, because we do need God, because we do need help. If we were self-sufficient, we would not be here. If we could do it all on our own, there would be no need for God. But I am so thankful that when I'm not enough, he is enough. I wonder if somebody in the room can lift your hands and just go ahead and let him know at the outset of this message, Jesus, I need help. Come on, be real with God. I need help. I need help. I need help. The enemy, the enemy of help is acting like you don't need it. We will miss our miracle if we sit there and pretend that we don't need it. I'm telling you, it takes faith to acknowledge that everything's not okay. It takes faith to acknowledge that your family needs a miracle. I'm preaching to people already. I see the tears running down your face because you know this is not the time to pretend because you'll miss out on your miracle. The enemy wants you to stay quiet because he knows if you do, you will miss out on what God wants you to do. But I'm telling you, there's, and it's been kind of the common theme this morning. There's something about your voice. When you raise your voice and say, Jesus, help me. You know what God does? He steps into your situation because he does not ignore the cry of his children. Somebody let your voice out right now. Help me God. Help me God. But you see it's our human proclivity 
It goes all the way back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve, God told them not to do something. And they did it anyway. And the longer I'm alive, Pastor Jack, the, the more I find out that we're good at doing what God tells us not to do. You may not be, but we are in the United States. We're really good at it. They do what God tells them not to do. And you know what happens? They have this shame. They have this condemnation. And then God comes walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And you know what Adam and Eve are doing? They're hiding. Because that's what we want to do with our mistakes. It's our nature to hide. But here's the issue with Adam and Eve hiding. They were hiding from the only one that could help them. But shame and sin and condemnation is so powerful. It will drive you away from the very thing that can help you. I want you to know shame is a liar. Condemnation is a liar. Nobody has passed the grace of God. If you're here today, you can come back. You can come back. You, I don't care what you've done. You can come back. Jesus is reaching for you. So God shows up. The only person that can help him. And he says, Adam. Adam, where are you? No, God doesn't ask questions because he needs an answer. And God did not need directions. He knew exactly where they were. He asked this question to get Adam to realize where he was. Adam said, we hid ourselves because we were naked. And it goes on this conversation. Who told you that? But what happened is the sin and the shame and the mistake of Adam pushed them to hide from the very God that could help them because they thought they were going to die. Because the law said, if you partake of it, you shall die. In the garden we see, I believe, where mercy is born. Because the law said you have to die. The love of God said, I don't want you to die. So when you have a law and love, have a collision, you see mercy. Because mercy says, well, something's got to die, but you don't have to die. Because they're hiding in the fig leaves, which is their own attempt to cover up their mistakes. But what they don't know is God did not show up to kill them. God showed up with something in his hand. It was the skins of an innocent animal. It was a sacrifice. It was a covering. And God wanted them to know you got to come out of the fig leaves because the only way to embrace your healing is you got to come out of hiding. The big leaves are not the answer. The big leaves are never going to work. But I have a bloody sacrifice that will cover you. Sounds eerily similar to Calvary. We should have been on the cross. But because of his love, the penalty of sin is death. But Jesus loved us so much that we didn't have to die. He died. But the only way to it, the only way to embrace the redemption is you got to come out of the hiding of acting like you're okay and trying to cover up your bruises and trying to cover up your mistakes. I understand it's uncomfortable to be transparent, but if you will be transparent, God will revolutionize your life. I'm telling someone the enemy has lied to you to convince you to stay the way that you are, but the enemy of help is acting like you don't need it. You have to be willing to step out and admit, I need help. Isaiah, would you come help me for a second? Run, run, run. In Luke chapter 18, in fact, I want you to start helping me to sit right on the edge of this platform. 
in Luke chapter 18, the Bible says that there's a man sitting on the side of the road. His name is Bartimaeus. And he's blind. You can't see. And the Bible also said that he's a beggar. He's broke. He doesn't have any money. Hold your hand out. And for all the adults, if you ever went through a season of your life where you were broke, you understand that is a real issue. When you're broke, everything just kind of gets on your nerves. Things that have worked well for years start breaking because you don't have the money to fix it. Being broke is a real issue. And when you're a teenager, it's not an issue because your parents have money. But when you have to pay your own bills and your own meals and your own laundry detergent, who knew that was so expensive? <laughs> eggs. Wow. No more eggs. Being broke, Pastor Matt, is a struggle. So Bartimaeus is broke. And he's blind. Close your eyes. And he's sitting on the side of the road. But he hears that Jesus is coming by. And as Jesus gets close, Bartimaeus yells out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Can you do that? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. I need you to yell it like you're in desperate need. <laughs> Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. All right, that was like a five. Bring it to a ten. <laughs> Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus is walking by, and blind, broke, and man starts yelling out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And you know what everybody tried to get him to do? Shh. Stop, stop. But I want you to notice the people that were telling Bartimaeus to be quiet had two good eyes, and they didn't need a miracle. If you don't need a miracle, it's easy to make fun of somebody that does. But when you need a miracle, you don't care what they say because the Bible says he cried out louder, Jesus. They said, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. But he cried out all the more. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy wow. on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy wow. on me. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And the Bible says something that Jesus stopped and said, bring him to me. And when Bartimaeus, close your eyes, you can't see. When Bartimaeus came to Jesus, Jesus asked him this question. This blows my mind every time I read it. Go to the next verse. He said, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? And here is where he put the ball in Bartimaeus' court. Because Bartimaeus had two issues. He was broke and he was blind. One issue was a surface level issue that anybody could have helped by dropping a $100 bill in the cup. But there was another issue, the deep issue that man could not help. 
And the only way that Bartimaeus was going to get a miracle is if he admitted what was really going on. Now Bartimaeus could have did his best impersonation tack like he wasn't blind but he was blind. Bartimaeus could have stood there that day and acted like everything was okay but everything was not okay. But the Bible says that Bartimaeus looked at Jesus and said I want to receive my sight. And the Bible says that Jesus looked back at him and said that's all I was waiting on. Receive your sight. Why? Because of your faith. Because you had enough faith to admit it. I need a miracle. And I'm telling somebody, Jesus is in this room and he's asking you, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And you can act like you don't need anything, but if there's somebody that needs a miracle, I wish you would stand up and say, Jesus, I need a miracle. Come on, lift your hands. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I need a miracle. Come on, lift your voice. There's faith in this room. Come on, lift your voice and pray for just a moment. Can we cultivate this? I need somebody to hear me. Jesus is not afraid of your depression. Jesus is not afraid of your suicidal thoughts. Jesus is not afraid of your anxiety. Jesus is not afraid of your anxiety and fears. Jesus is not afraid of your issues. I'm telling somebody, your one cry for help away from a miracle I'm telling you I know what I feel in the Holy Ghost this is not just a service where you go through the motions but Jesus has come to say if there's anybody desperate enough to forget about your neighbor and say Jesus I need a miracle Jesus I need deliverance he will come and meet your need Somebody lift your voice with me for just a moment. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Come on, that's it. Heaven is responding. It's me. It's me. I'm weak. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I'm confused. I'm broken. I'm bruised. And I need a miracle. I want you to hear me, church. We're going to come in just a moment. The musicians get ready. I want, I want to share with you one more thing. Bible says in Genesis chapter 25 27 excuse me that there was a father getting ready to bless his sons Jacob and he saw these brothers 
They're getting ready to be blessed by their father. The Bible says that the father, Isaac, tells Esau, I want you to go into the field. I want you to get some venison, prepare it, bring it back, and I'm going to bless you with this generational blessing. Rebecca overhears this conversation. And because Jacob is a mama's boy, Rebecca tells Jacob, this is what your dad's going to do. He's going to bless Esau with this blessing. So here's what I want you to do. Go out and get some goat. I know how to make it just right that it tastes like venison. And you're going to go in and you're going to deceive your father. This is right up Jacob's alley. He's been a deceiver his whole life. And the Bible says that Jacob looks at his mom and says, but there's one issue. My brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man. She says, don't worry. We got some coats of skins that you're going to put on. And that way when your dad reaches out to fill you, he's going to fill this mask that you have on. And he's going to know that it's Esau. And so Jacob puts on these coats of skins. And the Bible says he goes into the presence of his father. And he lies. because His father says, how'd you get it so fast? And he tells him the Lord gave it to him. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's been doing this his whole life. But he goes to his father. And his father makes this statement. He said, what? What is your name? Who are you? His father's vision had blurred from old age. And Jacob said, why well, am Esau? And then Isaac makes this statement. He reaches out and he touches the mask, the the outfit that he put on. And he says, well, it's funny because you feel, you feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Prove it to us that you can always go by what you feel because your feelings can be wrong. Here is where deception comes. When you go by what you feel rather than by what you hear. And Isaac was deceived. And so when he said, who are you? Jacob says, I'm Esau. And the Bible says he gets this blessing from his father by pretending to be Esau. But five chapters later, the Bible says that there was, Jacob was left alone and there wrestled him a man. I don't know if it was an angel of theophany. You'll have to ask somebody much smarter than me, like Pastor Jack or Pastor Matt or Bishop Ward when he's here on Wednesday. I don't know what it was, but I can tell you this. It was a divine encounter. This wasn't an ordinary situation. And Jacob is wrestling, wrestling with this angel or this man or whatever it was. And here we find it again. The angel says, let me go for the day breaketh. And here's Jacob again. I will not let you go until you bless me. Here's this man once more wanting another blessing. And then this man looks at him and asks him this question that he had heard before. He said, what is your name? Who are you? You see, five chapters earlier, Jacob got a blessing by pretending to be Esau. And that's what makes pretending so dangerous is that sometimes it looks like it works. But while it may work with man, it does not work with God. 
And so Jacob, for the first time in his life, Pastor Alex, he looks and he says, my name is Jacob. That was more than just revealing his name. That was revealing his character. That was revealing the deception he's been living by his entire life. That was Jacob's moment to be real with God. And I love this. This is how God responds to transparency. He said, thy name. Jacob, I've been waiting on you to be real with me. Because when you reveal your true identity, God will reveal your new identity. So he said, Jacob, your name no more is going to be the supplanter. Your name no more is going to be deceiver. You're going to be Israel. But the only way to go from Jacob to Israel is admit that you're Jacob. You can only get that kind of transformation when you're willing to be transparent and say, God, this is who I really am. I can't pretend. I've got to take the mask off. I've got to take this cloak off. God, this is who I really am. And Jesus has sent me by here this morning to reach after the real you the bruised you the hurting you the confused you the fearful you the anxiety you why? because he wants you to know he's not afraid of that version of you and if you will give him the real you Jesus will give you the new you but it starts by you being real and saying Jesus I need help We have to normalize prayers of help. The Bible even said that our God is a very present help. How do you be very present? You're present before you needed to be. I'm telling you, God's just waiting on you to admit that you need him. He's already here. He's already been here waiting. All he's waiting for somebody to extend the invitation. Jesus, I need help. There's people in this room. God has been tugging at your heart because you know you're the one I'm preaching to. And I would never single anybody out and I would never embarrass anybody. But I'm telling you, I know what I felt all weekend when I was going to preach this morning. God is reaching for someone. If you're in this room and you need help, I want you to step out of your seat if you can. And I want you to come down to this altar. And we're going to pray with you to let you know you are not alone. Somebody always is the first person. There's one. Come on, there are more people in this room. Come on, you're about to find out the value of the body of Christ. If you have a need in your life, I want you to come. Pastor Matt already said it. It could be spiritual. It could be mental or emotional, or it could be physical. Jesus has come to meet all three needs. Come on, if you have a need, come on. Would you press in close so people behind you could come? Come on, this is beautiful. Jesus has come to help you.
Come on, I need some mothers and fathers who feel like you're at your wit's end. I need you to come right now. God is going to help you. Come on, I need a single mother to come right now and feel like you can't bear the weight anymore. Jesus is going to help you. I want every hand to be raised. Come on, I want every hand to be raised. I'm going to pray over you and I want you to say in Jesus' name. And then I want you to begin to cry out for help, Father, in the name of Jesus. I have done, God, what you've instructed me to do. Now, God, I pray that you would confirm your word with signs following. These are your people, God. These are the people that you love, God. These are the people that you died for. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus, God, that you would minister strength to them, God. I pray that you would minister hope to them, God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray right now, let the angels be loosed in this room to minister to your people. God, I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. Now lift your voice and cry out to him, and he is going to meet you right where you are. Come on, that's it. Don't be ashamed. Let the tears flow. Let the tears flow. In the name of Jesus. Come on, mama, it's okay. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to be independent. We all need God. Come on, there needs to be some fathers right now who's not ashamed to show your children. This is how you get help. This is how you get help. <laughs> 